This is Cabernet and True Crime, the place where good wine and true crime come together. It's that day of the week again. Woo, woo, woo. Hello, it is me, your fearless leader, Jana, the host of Cabernet and True Crime. I have had some wine this evening because NaNoWriMo is stressful. I'm learning. Well, I learned that last year when I failed. So this year I was trying to do a lot better and like I am doing better, but I'm still fucking stressed out about it. So thank you all. There have been several of you who have reached out and told me they were thinking about me. And I really, really appreciate that because sometimes I feel like I'm on a raft in the middle of the ocean and that nobody fucking cares. So it's really nice to hear that some of you think about me in like a nice way not like in a creepy way, maybe in a creepy way, hopefully in a nice way. Um, Okay, cool. So let's just uh, boop right into that. Um, Hi, friends. So apparently, I am on a vampire kick, which, I mean, I should have known, you know, I covered the vampire Sacramento last week. And this year, I remembered who this person was, but I had just written their name on. So usually I try to pre-plan out who I'm going to talk about, at least to some degree, so that I don't like, first of all, you have to do some like preliminary research to see if they're going to be a serial killer Sunday short, or they're going to be a true crime Tuesday post. Because if there's just not enough information, you don't want to find out Monday night, which first of all, I do not record on Monday nights unless like something fucking stupid happens. Usually I record on Sunday, um, provided you know nothing's going on i usually do it a day or so in advance just in case for like any technical difficulties as you've seen with the camera situation which we won't talk about because it's still a very touchy subject for me we're going to deal with that after november's over um but so i usually plan out all my posts i have a general idea of what i'm going to post and when i'm going to post it um i don't usually pre-record in advance i usually i like to keep it in the moment um so for this month i have like not pre-recorded, but I kind of, I have, like, a really good idea of what I'm going to be posting every day, so I can just, like, boop, boop, and do it. So, like, everything's already researched, for the most part, except for, like, the True Crime Tuesdays, because I like those. These are the times when I'm talking to you guys, and, like, this is why I do it. I like the other content because, you know, I post every day because it's shit that I see that I think is funny, so for Murder Me Monday, I, I like to look up memes. I've got memes scheduled out until the next year because it's just shit I saw online that I thought was hilarious. So I schedule those. So I'm like, I'm going to post this on this day because I think they're funny. And I think you guys will think they're funny too. And like the Florida Man series, I think is really funny too. And so whenever I find a good one, I save it in my phone or like um, on my computer. And I'm like, I'm going to post this on this day. So for the most part, I have everything all planned out well in advance which now you're getting into my head of, like, how I do things the way I do them, because really it's, there's a, there's a system here, and I, I like doing what I do, and I like sharing these things, and it's all shit that I research anyways, it's like, in the Forensic Files Friday, so every single week I'm looking up a Forensic Files episode, well, you know what, sometimes those are worth their own True Crime Tuesday episode, like, they're worth their own podcast, the, the, the situations that happen there, so I give you, like, a glossed over version and Instagram, a very short, quick, you know, like two paragraph story as to what happens. But then I can save that information on a list of serial killers that I can cover later. So like every day I'm doing research of some sort that's going to either end up 
on a Forensic Files or a Trivia or a Serial Killer Sunday or a True Crime Tuesday. So, like, depending on how much information I can find on these things and where I see them fitting, they end up where they end up. So it's like every single day I'm taking in all this True Crime information, sorting them like a coin machine and putting them where they need to go. And I love that because otherwise I'd be weird, right? (laughs) (laughs) otherwise I'd just be fucking strange and I can't share all the funny stuff I find on my own Instagram because like there are people who don't like true crime on my Instagram page like I've seen other people post like what's up with the true crime community that's disgusting so I'm like oh I don't want to I mean not that I'm ashamed of it but like I don't think that's the right they don't appreciate my sense of humor like you guys do so I share that with you guys because I know you guys like it And hopefully if I can make you guys laugh, like, that's all that matters to me. If I get a kick out of it, I know you will too. Where was I going with this? Oh, so in my list of things to cover, I, so I had had the Vampire of Sacramento, and I knew it was a vampire case, because I picked that one specifically for Halloween. I really wanted to cover a very spooky type case for Halloween specifically. And then this one, I had actually done a true crime trivia on a while ago, I don't even know how long ago, and I was like, ooh, saving this one for later, he's very interesting. But he's called the Vampire of Dusseldorf, but I didn't write him down on my thing as the Vampire of Dusseldorf, so I was like, oh, Peter Curtin, like, he's fine, like, he's cool, we'll just put him as the next one. Um, But I didn't realize I was going to do two vampire episodes in a row, and I still don't know how vampires work. Well, I get the blood-sucking part, but I don't know the rules of vampirism, I never researched them from the last time, because as you know, I asked about how vampires work. I still haven't figured it out because I haven't looked. Um, so I don't know how vampires work. That's just how it is. Um, so I just gave it away. We're talking about Peter Curtin. I don't know why I always want it to be a secret. Um, I did better this time about like not trusting myself to remember things. Um, as you recall, last time I had forgotten some aspects, which I think I was still, I think I was right. I never checked. Um, about the guy's poncho or raincoat or whatever he was wearing. So normally, I don't want it to sound like I'm just blatantly reading something, like it does when I cover my old blogs. I hate the way I sound when I'm, like, rotely reading something. I like to ramble, if you haven't noticed. Rambling is kind of, like, my thing. I'm really good at it. So I just kind of put, like, it's almost like bullet points with, like, so on this day this happened, like, this specific detail. And for the most part, because I'm researching them and then doing a podcast on them, I can really just kind of remember the gist of what's going on. So it sounds more natural, and you guys get the full extent of, like, having a conversation with me instead of, like, reading something at you. I think that's better. So, you know, I, I, this time I put a little more context clues for myself, so I'm, like, the color of the fucking jacket, so I'm not just, like, an idiot, like, I don't know what color it is, because I didn't write that down. I think that sounds unprofessional, so I'm trying to find the balance between, like, where can I fit in, like, the casual conversation type thing, along with knowing my shit. So I think this one, I've done pretty good, um, I'm excited to read it to you, the actual case itself is, I don't really know how long this is going to end up being. I have a really hard time gauging how long my podcasts are going to be, um, because well, it can be five pages on Word, but it's just, like, real quick, like, information to get out. Um, there's not a lot of discussion points, and some crimes just, just really don't have a lot of rabbit holes. Like, I like, this is just ten minutes of me rambling. 
whatever. I'm just going to finish this thought. So I have told you guys in the past that I really like to do like old timey crimes because there's a lot of rabbit holes. So like when I did, um, fucking what's her name? Why can I not remember it now? Hang on. <laughs> when I did the, the baby, the baby killer, you know, um, why can I not remember her name? I can't put myself on the spot. This is why I panic. So that whole thing with the baby farming, that was this whole rabbit hole to go down. I had no idea about the poverty laws in England and how all of that worked out. So it's so fascinating to me to like go down those weird rabbit holes. But see, if I'm covering something that happened in 2013, we were all alive then. There's no reason for me to tell you about like, well, in 2013, the laws in America were this because you've lived that. There's not like, I mean, if there's anything interesting, so like for um, Joe Metheny, like necrophilia is not illegal in Maryland. You can definitely have sex with a dead body in Maryland and it's not illegal. I'm sure any way you can procure that body is definitely illegal, but having sex with a dead body in Maryland is not illegal. Like you can do it. That's fascinating. That's a rabbit hole to go down. But just telling you about being alive in 2013, like, bitch, we're all fucking doing it. Like, I don't need to tell you any of that, because you know. So, some of them have more rabbit holes than other ones. Some of them don't. This one, I think, is pretty just down the middle of rabbit hole city. I don't really remember how many rabbit holes I go down. Not a whole lot. So, let me take a swig of wine, and let's just dive right into this. And also, can I just say, oh, it's dry, um, that I re-listened to an old podcast the other day, and, like, I don't know who that shy girl was, because she's gone now. It's just me and you guys. I got my, my closet recording studio. I feel comfortable in here. Um, you know, thanks for making me feel comfortable enough to do this and, like, expose this part of me to you. Oh, that sounds dirty. Okay, um, let's move on. So the Vampire of Dusseldorf. Hope you like vampires. This is Peter Curtin. Um, he was born May 26th, 1883. And I said, you know what they say about those Geminis, apparently. Um, because the Vampire of Sacramento, I think, was born on May 23rd. So he's born on May 26th. I was born on May 25th. And this is all coming too close to home. Like, I promise I'm not a vampire. Or am I? Maybe it's just a ruse that I don't know anything about vampires, but, like, I'm secretly a vampire. You'll never know. Um, so he's born May 26th, 1883, in Mulheim, um, um, which is German. I don't speak German. Um, which is just called Mulheim now. It is a city district in Cologne, Germany, and it's right on the bank of the Rhine. It's, the, it's a city district now, but it used to be its own entire town. In 1914, it got incorporated to the city of Cologne. Um, from my understanding, Mulheim is big. I don't really... I don't have anything to compare it to because A, I've never been to Germany, and B, I don't really understand how they're... I'm very American in the sense that I understand the state, county, city, village type structure. So if it varies from that at all, I'm just kind of like, why? I don't understand. Um... So, sorry if you're foreign and I don't understand the way your cities work. Um, but all I know is that Mulheim 
Omrain used to be its own little city, and then it got eaten up by Cologne. And from my understanding, Cologne is a pretty big city in Germany. I've heard of it, so it's got to be big enough, correct? Yes. Um, so his family was really poor, and his parents were abusive. He was the third out of 13 children, um, but two of his siblings died early on. I think they were younger. Both of Peter's parents were violent alcoholics, and all 13 of them... So, all the 13 kids and uh, Peter's parents lived in a one-bedroom apartment. Peter's dad was the definitely... He was definitely more aggressive of the two parents, and he would often force everybody to gather in the family living room while he forced his wife to have sex with him, making the children watch. Because Peter was the oldest... He was the oldest boy, if I do recall. Yeah, he had to have been, because he was the third oldest out of 13. He was the oldest boy. He received the brunt of his dad's abuse. Um, Peter Curtin was great in school, but due to his father's abuse. So he, he only did really good in school because he refused to come home. He would stay at school for as long as he could and only come home when he had to. So it made him a really good student. He was, like, well-regarded, but only because of his fear for his father. Um... He, so he'd stay at school all the time. He was known to run away from home. Um, and more predominantly as he got older, he would run away from home. He made friends with petty criminals and social misfits on the streets when he was away. Peter's dad was sent to jail for over a year in 1894 for having incestual sex with his 13 year old daughter. After Peter's father was imprisoned, Peter's mother got a separation order, which should point out is not a divorce. And the couple were still legally married, but she apparently remarried and moved the family to Dusseldorf, which is a city about 40 kilometers north up the Rhine. At the young age of five, Peter tried to drown one of his playmates. At nine, he befriended a dog catcher, and he followed him around and joined him at work. The dog catcher tortured and killed the animals he caught, where Peter Curtin took part. Also at nine, Peter Curtin... Uh, claimed that he killed his first person, saying that he intentionally pushed a boy off a raft who couldn't swim. So the boy, he knew the boy could not swim, pushed him off a raft, and just kind of let him sink. Um, another friend jumped in to save the child, and Peter held the other kid down, and he drowned too. Both deaths were ruled as accidents. At 13, Peter had a girlfriend. Um, she was more than happy to participate in foreplay and, you know teenager type things um but she would not have sex with peter apparently in order to refrain from having sex he engaged in bestiality with sheep pigs and goats however he enjoyed the experience much more when he stabbed the animal before he orgasmed apparently this hobby stopped after peter was caught stabbing a pig and if you think this is the weirdest it's gonna get i have a dark surprise for you this is the most normal thing he does so have fun. Buckle up, buttercup, because it's about to get south. Um, he also tried to rape his sister, um, the same one that his father had sexually assaulted years earlier. In 1897, he got a job as an apprentice molder. Let me remind you, at eight, in 1897, he was 14. Um, and being an apprentice molder was something his father had pressured him to do. After two years in this job, Peter stole all the money in his household and 300 marks from his job and ran away from home. He dated a sex worker during this time who apparently let him act out whatever sexual desires he wanted. He was arrested a month later for theft 
and spent another month in prison. In November 1899, um, Peter Curtin said that he had picked up an 18-year-old female, he had sex with her, and strangled her to death with his bare hands. However, the story was never corroborated, and if it actually happened, the victim most likely survived. The only problem is that the encounter showed Peter that he could only achieve sexual ecstasy with a human like this. In 1900, Peter Curtin was arrested for fraud, then later that year arrested for the same charge, but also added in was the attempted murder of a girl with a firearm. He was sentenced to four years in prison starting October 1900 and served his sentence in Derendorf. When Peter was released, he joined the German army in 1904, but deserted the army shortly after. After he deserted the army, he began committing acts of arson. He would set a building ablaze, then watch from a distance away while emergency services tried to extinguish the flames. Between fall and New Year's Eve of 1904, he claimed to have set at least 24 fires, mostly for sexual excitement. Once he was caught, and it's unclear whether it was for the arson or the, his desertation of the army, unclear, he was charged for arson, robbery, attempted robbery, and des deserta desertion, desertion, not desertation, that's something you do in med school, right? Dissertation. Desertion. He deserted the army. Desertion. And he was put in prison from 1905 to 1913 in Munster, where he spent the majority of his time in solitary confinement for insubordination. Um, during his time in Munster, he was disciplined in such a way that it ignited different fantasies for Peter, like, quote, striking out society and killing masses of people. He said he got pleasure from these thoughts and would occasionally spontaneously ejaculate while thinking about it. That's healthy. Cool. Um, Peter's first known murder occurred the day before his 30th birthday, which was May 25th, 1913, which is my birthday. Not, certainly not that year, you know. Um, after he was released from Munster, he was frequently stealing again. He chose public bars or inns where the owners lived in the floor above. Um, apparently, they were easy targets. I don't know anything about stealing from bars, but apparently if they, like, while the bartenders and the family was all working the bar, he could just sneak upstairs and steal their belongings and sneak back out and just be another bar patron that, they, you know, he was very unnoticeable because the bars were usually busy, I'm presuming. Um, so he was stealing from a bar in his hometown, Moheim am Rhein, when he saw a nine-year-old girl asleep in her bed. Her name was Christine Klein. He strangled her and cut her throat twice, and he ejaculated while she was dying. The next day, on his birthday, he returned to the neighborhood, specifically to a bar across the street from the one he had been in the night before, so he could listen to the locals' reactions about the murder. And he said he got an extreme sense of satisfaction from the general disgust and outrage he heard from people's conversations. And after Christine's funeral... Peter said that he would often come back to visit her grave and would occasionally fondle the dirt where she was buried, saying that while doing so, he spontaneously ejaculated. Gross. Two months later, Peter killed again, this time in Dusseldorf. He broke into a home and found 17-year-old Gertrude Franken, whom he strangled. On July 14th, Peter was arrested again for arson and burglaries. He received six years in prison, but due to more insubordination, he had two years added on to his sentence. He served his time in a military prison in Brieg and was released in April 1921, where he moved to Altenburg with his sister. Here, he meets a candy store owner and former sex worker, August Scharf, 
who apparently, or who had previously been convicted of murdering her fiancé by shooting him to death. By 1923, Peter Curtin and August were married. They consummated their marriage, but only at the invitation of August. And after they were married, he said that they only had sex if she initiated it. Like, he never initiated sex with her. Peter got a regular job, working full-time. He didn't have any friends besides his wife. In 1925, the couple moved to Dusseldorf, and Peter took up affairs with a servant named Teed and a maid named Mech. When August found out that he was cheating on her, Teed claimed that she had been seduced, and Mech said she had been raped. Due to these allegations, uh, Curtin received an eight-month prison sentence, which he served six months of. On February 3rd, 1929, Peter Curtin followed an elderly woman named Apollonia. Apollonia Apollonia Kuhn while she was walking outside. He waited until they were covered by bushes, pulled her aside, and stabbed her 24 times with a sharpened pair of scissors. She survived. On February 8th, he strangled nine-year-old Rosa Olger until she was unconscious, then stabbed her in the stomach, temple, genitals, and heart with a pair of scissors. He spontaneously ejaculated during the attack and used his hands to put semen into her. He hid her body under a hedge until he could return later that evening and set her on fire, saying he had an orgasm because of the flames. On February 13th, Peter murdered 45-year-old Rudolf Scheer, stabbing him 20 times in the head, back, and eyes. After the body was discovered, Peter returned to the scene of the crime and had a conversation with police about the body. Because of all, because all three, oh, say, okay, so think about it, because all three of these attack, occur, attacks occurred in the same general area, and they were all very similar, you know, MOs. There was no sign of robbery, just these three random people that were getting stabbed to death with scissors, led investigators to believe that one person was committing all of them. So they were kind of, you know, tuned in to like, what the hell, like, this seems weird. We probably have, well, they didn't call them serial killers back then, um, but they were, you know, suspicious that one person was doing all of this. Peter attempted to strangle four women between March and July 1929, but was not successful. On August 11th, he met a woman named Maria Hahn, who he went on a date with. After they had been on their date for several hours, Curtin led her to a meadow, then strangled her, stabbed her in the chest and head, and waited for her to die. The attack lasted over an hour before Maria finally passed away. He buried her body in a cornfield and returned several weeks later with the intent of nailing her remains in a tree in order to mock the crucifixion, but her body was too heavy for him to do so. Instead, he returned to her corpse um, He returned her corpse to the grave, but not before caressing and hugging her body. He then reburied it. He said he often returned to the grave. Three months later, Peter sent an anonymous letter to police confessing to the murder of Maria Hahn, and I got this a little confused. Um, so I say he, he drew them a rudimentary map of where he could find her body. But that's later. This time, and I'll, I mean, I'll come back to that point, but this time he, he sends her an anonymous letter like, I killed Maria Hahn. She's buried by the cornfields. That's it. That's all he says. Um, eventually her body's found on November 15th. Um, so just a point to mention, because I don't know if I mentioned that later. Um, but he does eventually send another letter and draw a map so they can find her body. But that's not now. He's just saying, I killed her. She's by the she's by the cornfields. 
Um, so after the murder of Maria Hahn, Peter changed his weapon from scissors to a knife in order to throw off police. On August 21st, he randomly stabbed an 18-year-old girl, a 30-year-old man, and a 37-year-old woman in separate attacks. All three were wounded pretty badly, but all three survived. They noted that their attacker said nothing to them before he began stabbing. Which, I mean, okay, why... And this sounds really bad, but, like, why is he so fucking bad at killing people? I mean, once again, that I'm just saying, not that I wanted him to kill these people, but he's just attacking people. Why bother, like, why bother doing it? That sounds awful. But do you under, do you get my point, right? You under, I'm, I don't know why I'm talking to you like that. I don't, you're not going to respond because you're listening to this podcast. But, I mean, is that wrong in saying that he, like, and at the end of the day, he attempted to murder so many people and he sucked at it. Like he didn't do, how do you almost kill so many people and you're not even successful in, I don't know, that sounds awful and I feel bad for saying it, but it's like, you're, you're bad at this. So you left these people scarred for the rest of their lives just because you felt like stabbing a bunch of people. I don't know. I'm not condoning murder, and I'm not saying he should get better at it. I'm just saying you went out of your way to viciously attack three people. For what reason? If your intent is to kill people, why did you, why did you do it then? Right? I don't know. That sounds awful. I promise I'm not awful. So don't think I'm awful. It's just, it's just an observation of, I can't stop Peter Curtin from doing anything he already did. But my whole point is, if your whole shtick in this is to kill people and your whole prerogative is to end people's lives like you're doing a shit job at it is just my observation on august 24th peter was at a fairground when he saw two sisters who were five and 14 walking home peter talked to them and offered the eldest girl louise lenson to purchase cigarettes for him so he'd say he'd give her like 20 bucks to go buy her buy him cigarettes while she was away, he strangled the younger child, Gertrude Haymaker, and cut her throat. He discarded her body, and when Louise returned, he strangled and stabbed her in the torso. He bit and cut her throat, then sucked blood from her wounds. On August 25th, Peter tried to solicit a 27-year-old housemaid, Gertrude Schultz, into sex, to which she said no. Peter yelled, well, die then, and he stabbed her repeatedly in the neck um, head, neck, shoulder, and back. Gertrude survived the attack but couldn't provide a description of her attacker. Curtin attempted and failed to murder two more people in September of that year but decided yet again to change his weapon of choice. Now he was going to start using a hammer. On September 30th, Peter met 31-year-old servant named Ida Ruder. He asked her to accompany him to a drink at the cafe and on the way to the cafe she was beat repeatedly in the head with a hammer, and was sexually assaulted. She survived. On October 11th, Peter met 22-year-old servant Elizabeth Dorier. He, or no, Ida Reuter passed away, I think. He used the same ruse that he had with Ida, luring her on the premise of coffee. Um, so this is Elizabeth Dorier. He walked her to a secluded area and then hit her once in the temple with a hammer. He raped her, hit her more times with a hammer, then left her for dead. She was found alive the next morning, but died from injuries a day later. On October 25th, Peter attacked two more women with a hammer and both survived. 
On November 7th, he meets a girl named Gertrude Alberman, who he lured to an abandoned area. He strangled her and stabbed her once in the left temple with a pair of scissors. After she collapsed, she was stabbed 34 more times in the temple and chest than her body was just left there. By late summer 1929, police were on the hunt for the vampire of Dusseldorf. With the help of other police, they interviewed 9,000 people. So they interviewed over 9,000 people and followed up on 2,650 clues. The potential suspect list was over 900,000 names long. I don't even know if the list for the Zodiac is that high of, like, potential suspects. They they literally had no idea who was doing this because people were getting attacked all over the place. But then they had these bodies that were stabbed with scissors and bodies that were stabbed with knives and bodies that were hit with hammers. So they're like, we don't know if this is one person or the change of murder weapon meant there was a bunch of people, like, a pair of people doing this. Like, they didn't know who was killing these people and how many people could be doing it because everything was just so hodgepodge about. And, like, Peter Curtin didn't have a type. He killed the he killed and attacked the elderly. He killed and attacked men and women. It didn't matter where they were or who they were. It just, like, if he felt the urge to attack somebody, he did. Like, he was off his rocker and just attacking, basically, it seems like, everybody. And, honestly, you know, I take back my previous statement. It almost seems like he didn't always intend to kill his victims. Maybe he was just attacking people and maybe they accidentally died. Maybe I got it wrong. Maybe his intent's not to kill and he doesn't suck at it. Maybe his intent is just to beat people and hurt them. And death is just something that comes at the end of that sometimes. Maybe? Maybe that's a theory. Maybe he just wanted to hurt people. Maybe he didn't actually want to kill anybody. They just died. I don't know. With it, it just sheer acts of violence that he is just lashing out at anybody that gets close enough to him that he's just like oh you're there cool i'm gonna lure you and stab you in the head with a bu- with scissors a bunch of times it's hard to tell you know once i think about it more it's hard to tell if that's just sheer violence or if he just wants to kill people it's hard it's very difficult to discern where he falls in that spectrum i think so now i feel better because you know originally, I still feel bad for my comment of saying that he's not good at killing people, because that's awful to say, and that's a really gross comment to make. So I'm sorry I'm doing it. I don't edit these podcasts. And you know what? Honestly, I'm not going to edit it out, because A, I don't know how to, and B, my main goal here is to always be fucking real with you guys, and hopefully there are people out there and nobody's too sensitive to be upset about me saying that, because I hope this can be a place where people of the true crime community can sit down and say, like, these are the facts and these are how we feel about it. Um, So, yeah, I know I still honestly do feel kind of bad for saying that earlier and I'm not even trying to talk myself out of it because it did. I said he sucked at killing. I'm not trying to backtrack on that, but I'm happy that after some more reading of what I researched and like thinking like, you know, processing that feeling, maybe he was just a violent dude and maybe he was just violent randomly and people just happen to die I you know that's a a good discussion point you know tell me if I'm wrong tell me if you think I'm right I don't know that's why I'm here that's why I like to do this is because I want to talk to people about how they feel about certain true crime situations so if you have some feedback on how you feel about that or my comment message me because I love to talk to people who follow me on Instagram and I guess otherwise um I talk to people every day so if you have a feeling about that, tell me about it, because I, I really do want to genuinely know your opinion on the vampire of Dusseldorf. Okay. Sorry. 
So 900,000 names were the suspect list. I think that's probably more than the Zodiac. Two days after the death of Gertrude, the paper received Peter's note of where to find Maria's body. So this is where he had previously previously sent just a random letter that had no details, but this one had the the map. And so the map, the, they did a handwriting analysis that determined that both letters had come from the same person, and it was most likely only one person who was committing these crimes. So the person who had sent the letter way back when, and the person who sent the letter now was definitely the same person. So... You know, it's probably him. Uh, between February and May 1930, Peter attacked 10 victims with a hammer. All victims survived and were able to give a description to police. Which, again, furthers my theory of, like, maybe he just wants to be violent. Especially if he's not even, like, hiding his appearance. He's just walking down the street beating people in the head with a hammer. If they, I mean, think of how absurd it has to be over the course of so february january march april may so the course of four months he attacks 10 people with a hammer and every single one of them survives and every single one of them can give a description to police that doesn't sound like rational behavior and that sounds like a surefire way to get yourself caught but it sounds like he is in the same way a lot like richard chase of just like he's just doing what he feels compelled to do and doesn't really care about, at least to some degree, the the consequences of what he's doing. Um, so on May 14th, there was a woman who had been pestered by a man under the premise of trying to get her. Um, so a woman, her name was Maria Budlick, um, to a hostel. So the guy's like, I'll get you to the hospital. Don't worry about it. Like, I can look after you. Cool. So he attempted to take her down an isolated road and she refused, you know, starting an argument, like probably yelling in the street. Peter Curtin overheard the argument and approached the pair. And when confronted, the man was like, nope, not worth it. And walked away. So after, so (laughs) Peter invites Maria to his house. He's like, hey, you know what? You just got in a fight with this dude. Like, let me make you dinner and I'll walk you to your hotel. Like, everything will be okay. So he played like the nice guy routine of like, come to my house and like, I'll make you drinks and we can have dinner together. Um, Peter had asked her for sex and she said no. And then Peter offered to take Budlick to her hotel and instead led her into the woods where he strangled and raped her, but let her go when she began to scream. Um, so this is this the insane part, and, like, what are the odds of this even happening? Which, the story still sounds really weird to me, but, it, I mean, it's how this happened. It's just insane that this is how things go down for Peter Curtin. Um, so, Maria never, ever reported the incident to police. She wrote about it in a letter to a friend, and, like, I guess in so many words, accounted what happened to her. The letter was wrongly addressed and ended up at the post office where it was opened, read, and handed off to the Dusseldorf police. Isn't that insane? Um, Police interviewed Maria and she remembered where he lived. So they finally had their killer because Maria remembered the apartment that he lived in. That's so insane. And the fact that she never even reported it to police is just absolutely insane that, like, because she messed up one of the numbers on her letter to her friend, like, this guy got caught. What are the odds of that happening? 
Um, so while police were at his apartment, so she was like, I know exactly where he lives. And she took her, she led them there and the landlord let them in. And while Maria was there, she's like, this is absolutely the place that I was the night that everything happened. So they're like, cool. We know exactly where this guy lives. We can get his records. Like he's paying a lease. Like we know who he is. Peter Curtin saw them. So he was coming up the stairs. I'm assuming he was in the hallway and knew that there were people in his house. Like, the police were in his apartment. He knew that the, 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 the jig's up. He told his wife, after they had left, I guess I'm assuming he hid until whatever, and then he went to his apartment, and he told his wife that he had raped Maria Budlick, and he needed to hide because he would receive hard time due to his previous convictions. So on May 23rd, he returned to his wife and confessed that he was the Dusseldorf vampire. He told his wife to turn him in and receive the substantial reward for his arrest, and she did. He was arrested at gunpoint later that day. Ooh, that just made the font real big. Um, once arrested, Peter admitted his guilt in all the crimes, and he confessed that he was the one who committed the then unsolved murders of Christine Klein and Gertrude Franken in 1913. He admitted to committing 10 murders and 31 attempted murders. He had no excuse for the crimes and said they were due to the injustices he endured throughout his life, and he promised that he never had tortured any of the child victims. After he killed his victims, he would apologize to them, saying, that's what love is all about. He also admitted to drinking blood from the throat temple and, um drinking blood off a victim's hands when he killed maria han he drank so much of her blood he vomited in 1930 he apparently admitted to cutting the head off a swan so he could drink its blood after review he was deemed sane enough and competent enough to stand trial and on april 13th 1931 peter Curtin stood trial in Dusseldorf. he had been charged with nine counts of murder and seven counts of attempted murder he pled not guilty by reason of insanity during his trial he was placed on a shoulder high iron cage to protect him from being attacked from the family of the victims his feet were shackled when he was inside the cage imagine being at a trial where the person is caged for their own protection like that's how much rage peter Curtin incited in the german community like they were furious with him because he was just mercilessly beating the shit out of people and killing people so just imagine like being at a trial where not because people are afraid of him like they were afraid they were going to kill him before he could even be tried for his crimes which that's just insane um During his trial, Peter had claimed that his initial confession had been only so his wife could be set financially, and during his trial, he, um, so later, he changed his plea to guilty. He said, I have no remorse. As to whether recollection of my deeds makes me feel ashamed, I will tell you that thinking back to all the deals is not at all unpleasant. I rather enjoy it. Um, so when they were like, do you have a conscience? He said he did not. So he said... Nonetheless, when pressed as to his motivation and... Oh, sorry. (laughs) When he confessed as to why he killed... Yes. Sorry. Apparently, I copied that quote because I wanted to read that for you guys. And then I also copied a whole bunch of garbage that I didn't want. So hang on one second. Okay, so yeah. He said that, um, he said basically that quote was just saying that he, he enjoyed all his thoughts about killing people. He's like, yeah, it was okay. 
Um, and then they were like, well, why did you confess then if this is back before he changed his plea to guilty? So like, why did you confess if you're pleading not guilty? Like you already confessed to the crimes. And he said, why don't you understand that I'm fond of my wife and that I'm still fond of her? I've done many wrongs, but have been unfaithful over and over again. My wife has never done any wrong. Even when she heard of the many prison sentences I have served, she said, I won't let you down. Otherwise, you'll be lost altogether. I wanted to fix my wife for a carefree old age. Um, so that's why he was saying he confessed, but that was before he changed his plea to guilty. Um, so there was back and forth during the trial. I'm assuming, well, I can't get the court. I can't get the court records for this because A, they're really old, and B, they're also probably in German, so I don't, I couldn't get them. Um, There's back and forth during the trial, and I'm assuming it's because, you know, he had pled the insanity plea, and then he was guilty, and then he wasn't guilty, and the prosecution, like, I'm, I'm assuming this was a real whirlwind of a case because he was kind of just all over the place with how he felt about things. Um, so the trial only lasted 10 days, but once he changed his plea to guilty, I think Peter's fate was kind of more or less set as to where this was going to go. On April 22nd, the jury deliberated for two hours before finding Peter guilty of all crimes and sentenced to death. He had no emotion as the verdict was delivered. He did not appeal his conviction, but he asked for a pardon for the punishment, but it was rejected. So he basically said, I, you know, cool. I did it, but don't kill me. And they said, no, like, we're going to kill you. Um, he wrote apology letters for all his victims' relatives and a farewell letter to his wife. On July 1st, 1931, Peter ate his last meal. He had wiener schnitzel, a bottle of white wine, and fried potatoes. He asked for a second helping, and his regret was or his request was granted. At 6 a.m. on July 2nd, he was beheaded by guillotine in Cologne. He was walked unassisted to his death. Before he knelt for the guillotine, he asked his psychiatrist, Tell me, after my head is chopped off, will I still be able to hear, at least for a moment, the sound of my own blood gushing from the stump of my neck? That would be the pleasure to end all pleasures. He had no final words to say other than that. After he was killed, his head was cut in half and mummified. The brain was removed and examined in an attempt to explain his behavior. Aside from an enlarged thymus gland, which I guess is basically normal, it's not like a bad sign of anything, he was deemed completely normal. He was 48 years old when he was killed. After World War II, Peter's head was sent to the United States, and it is now in the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum in Wisconsin Dells, Wisconsin. So if you live in Wisconsin, go look at Peter Curtin's noodle because it's there which would be interesting to see even though it's just a normal mummified brain you know you're just regular normal normal mummified brain just a casual brain um and yeah that's peter Curtin, the vampire of dusseldorf um that's all i have on him and life and everything so i'll see you guys on sunday